For generations, people in the Bible, they've wanted this perfect leader. And for them, they've wanted a perfect king, a good king that would lead them to the promised land, that would lead them with integrity, honesty, and love and conviction. And some, as we read in the Bible, some have come. But all good things and all good kings come to an end. Yet there's still this anticipation. The Bible anticipates this king. This king who will rule a kingdom that will have no end. That's the story of the Bible. It is one story. It's 66 different books written by 44 different authors over generations, yet it it tells one story. And one of those stories is this king that would come. But this king never seems to come. At first, when God made the world, it was good. He made the first people, Adam and Eve, and it was a very good world. They walked with God and talked with God. But God said, you can't eat from this fruit, from the center of the garden. Because as soon as you do, it's going to be mayhem. Things will die. Things will be cursed. You will know the knowledge of good and evil. And a curse will enter into the world, which it did. And as, as the Bible traces this story of the next generation, these, these two people have children. And the generation after that is fallen. We have the first murder. People are lying to each other, cheating, stealing. We see the effects of this disobedience in which we call sin, which we see the effects today. And the leaders we do have in charge, whether it's in our home, at our workplace, in government, there's fallenness and brokenness everywhere. That's the effects of sin in our own lives. There's death and decay, and there's loss, massive loss. And as you trace this story, we come and meet this person named Abraham. And God is on a rescue mission. He wants to save the world from the sin and the fallenness that has entered. And God chooses this this man, Abraham, and he makes a promise to him. In the first book of the Bible, in chapter 12, he says, Abraham... I'm going to make you into a great nation. Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars, and you will be a blessing to all the nations in the world. And as Abraham's family grew, as we read in the scriptures, they ended up in slavery in Egypt. And then they were rescued out of slavery in Egypt. And God brought them to this mountain called Mount Sinai. You can read this in Exodus, the second book of the Bible. In the first 18 chapters, there's God and Abraham's people, the Israelites. And God is asking them, if you obey the terms of my promise and my covenant, you will be representatives to the nations. You will be a blessing to the nations. And there's all this hope that God has spoken to Abraham's people. There's this hope that maybe this people will be a blessing to the world. But like the generations before and the generations that follow, they fail to keep God's promises. And you see a lot of this destruction and decay and chaos and sin in the book of Judges. Yet, 
God promised out of Abraham's descendants there will come a king. A royal leader would come who would be faithful on behalf of this unfaithful people. We're introduced to a man named David. This is the same David of David and Goliath. He slayed the mighty giant. And he seems to be an alright king. But as we read about David, he's as sinful as anybody. He was, he was called faithful, but he was still corrupted like each of us by sin. He killed his friend, one of his close friends and a military leader. He killed him and slept with his friend's wife and got her pregnant. He's guilty of adultery and murder and lying and so much more. And so there's this anticipation of this king. And every generation comes and passes, and there's these leaders, but it seems to never come. Is it coming in the near future, in the distant future? God is saying, yes, through David's bloodline, there's going to be a king, a king of kings that will come in the future. It will be from David's descendants. And there's a key passage in a book called 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 to 13, where God promised a faithful king that would arise and would rule over the nations forever and ever. This is what it says in verse 12 to 13. For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. We saw that David himself was not that promised king, nor was his son, nor anyone after David. Yet there's still this promise that God makes in 2 Samuel. There's going to be a king that comes and his throne will last forever. It will be without end. And as we're going through the Bible we come to this prophet named Isaiah. And a prophet is someone who spoke on behalf of God to the people. They're not, they're not like sports predictors. They don't think, okay, the Los Angeles Lakers are going to win the trophy. Or the Canucks are going to win the next game. Or Toronto is going to win the Stanley Cup. Yes, wait for laughter. Sorry, Toronto fans. He's, they're, they're not making predictions. They're speaking to what God is going to bring forth in the future. That's what a prophet does. And this is what Isaiah is doing. And in the book of Isaiah, we're anticipating this promised king from the line of David who will fulfill all the promises made to Abraham, to the Israelites, and yes, to David. If you want to learn more about this book of Isaiah, I would suggest you talk to one of the people in the women's Bible study uh, that my mother-in-law is leading. They're going through in-depth through the book of Isaiah. But essentially, Isaiah is talking about this anticipated king who would come and rescue. And as we're going through the Bible, story after story, meeting these kings, these kings of the lineage of David, we find that we meet 39 of them. 39 kings. 
ruling from anywhere from seven days. This is Zimri. You can read about him in 1 Kings. Or to King Manasseh, who ruled for 55 years. You can read about him in 2 Kings and Chronicles. There's these 39 kings, and most were awful and evil. And five were meh, so-so, or a mix of good and bad. But there were four good kings that came. King Asa, A-S-A. You had King Jehoshaphat. You had King Hezekiah and King Josiah. They were, they were pretty good kings. But in this, in this people group, the kingdom was split. So you had the northern kingdom and you had the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom had 19 kings. In the northern kingdom, how many do you think were okay kings or good kings? How many think in, in the northern kingdom of, of these 19 kings were all right? One, two, northern kingdom. The northern kingdom had no good kings. The northern kingdom. Maybe one was all right. Maybe. The southern kingdom. Kingdom of Judah. They had the 20 kings. And those that were all right came from the southern kingdom. And so you have these, these kings, and they ruled horribly, some with much evil, and some were okay, but still they died. And you don't remember these kings. And so as you're reading Isaiah, this prophet, we learn in chapter 1 that these kings, they're murderous and they're stealing, just like the former kings. And Isaiah, this prophet, he confronts this king, Ahaz in, in Isaiah chapter 7, who's just as unfaithful as his ancestors. And so and Isaiah is writing about this anticipation of this king who would come and save Israel, this king who would have this amazing faith, who would have this amazing power, who would rule with goodness, and who would destroy this army that's threatening the Israelite people. This army is known as the Assyrians. And the Assyrians are considered by historians as the first true empire. They had sophisticated military power. They were bloodthirsty. They were strong. They were intelligent. And they were growing and expanding in the known world at the time. And they were conquering lands like nobody. Establishing their rule over everything, including in Israelite territory. And so Isaiah is writing about this anticipated king, and people are like, oh, okay, this king is going to come, he's going to rescue us from the Assyrians, maybe. And Isaiah writes in chapter 9, verse 6 to 7, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. This sounds amazing, Isaiah. When is he going to come? Isaiah is saying, when this king arrives, 
And he has many amazing names. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He's the embodiment of the power and presence of God of Israel. And he will bring the fulfillment that God made to Abraham, to the Israelites, and to David. And as you read throughout Isaiah, we realize that this king will come. And he's not just here to destroy the Assyrian army, but he will renew all of creation. He will renew all of creation. He is redeeming the world. He will bring goodness out of this darkness. And his throne will last forever. Who will it be? Who is this guy? Later in Isaiah, we meet, we meet the next king out of David's lineage. It's Hezekiah. You can read about him in chapters 36 to 39. And King Hezekiah is legit. And he's good. He's a very good king. Yet the Assyrian army comes and the people of Israel exiled out of their homeland. And people thought maybe it's going to be Hezekiah. And he died. And this promise that God has made seems to be getting delayed and postponed by each passing king with all 39 kings. And then in a book years after Isaiah, we read about a prophecy in the book of Daniel. It's in chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. And it writes, As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. And people are probably listening to this and thinking, we've heard this. Where is this king? Isaiah wrote about it in chapter 7, verses 13 to 14 as well. Notice here, Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. Isaiah chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. Easy to memorize these prophecies right here. Isaiah said, Listen well, you royal family of David. Isn't it enough to exhaust, isn't it enough to exhaust human patience? Must you exhaust the patience of my God as well? All right then, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Which means God is with us. For every passing generation, as you're reading throughout the Bible, you're seeing this, this king is coming. But when and who? Where the Old Testament begins with Genesis and ends with Malachi, at the end of Malachi, there's this period of 200 years of silence. God doesn't speak to a prophet. We don't have any recorded uh, miracles that are included in the Bible. Yet these people are waiting for a king. And Daniel makes this prophecy. Isaiah has made this prophecy. And throughout the entire Old Testament, we're seeing this king is going to come. He's going to have an amazing kingdom and he will rule forever. And then nothing. Silence. It's unfulfilled prophecy. Will this king ever come? 
This is the story of an obscure child born in a very obscure place with a very redneck accent in nowhere town. I was going to say like Whitehorse, but we're, we're not no ones, right? We're, we're somebody, right? <laughs> don't go, I don't want to pack my childhood. This is the story that this baby's born into. This is a story that Jesus is born into. That's anticipation of this king. In the first four books of the Bible, we call them the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is the story of this baby who grows up. We know him as Jesus. And the basic claim of all four of these Gospels, some are eyewitness accounts, some are historical accounts, that in the New Testament, that this baby Jesus was that faithful king from the line of David. And if you were to trace the lineage all the way from the first people, Eve, all the way to the birth of Jesus Christ, and Matthew, the book of Matthew goes through that lineage, he is of the descendant of David. He is of the line of David. And he is the one that the entire Old Testament story has been pointing to, and Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that prophecy. This story has been pointing to this baby all along. Don't believe me. The fulfillment of Daniel, chapter 7, verses 13 to 14, is found in Luke, generations later. In the first chapter of Luke, verses 31 to 33, it says, You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. The fulfillment of Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 6 to 7, is in Matthew, the first New Testament book, in its first chapter, 23rd verse. Look, the virgin, this is Mary, will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Before I became a Christian in 2009, I hated God, I hated the Bible, I hated Christianity. And whenever people talked about the Bible, and they would say things like this to me. Look at, look at all these prophecies. Look at the 300 prophecies that Jesus Christ himself fulfills. I would say that's just a coincidence. That's just a coincidence. The mathematical impossibility of anyone fulfilling all 300 of these is impossible. Or, you know, the Bible is just a man-made book. It's just a bunch of people. They just wrote stuff down. But how do you do that? How do you control what happened thousands of years ago and make it happen today? The book of Isaiah not only prophesied the birth of Jesus Christ, it also talked about how he would die thousands of years before crucifixion was even a thing. So this baby king grows up around 30, is crucified by the Romans, bearing the sins of humanity, conquering the grave, 
Behold our king. He is not dead. He is alive. He reigns now. He is with us. That's in his name, Emmanuel, God with us. It's just a coincidence. It's just a man-made book. It's just a crutch. As if we just, we're just making this up to feel better during Christmas or something. First of all, if people, if you're a Christian here, and someone says to you, Christianity is just a crutch. You know how you should respond? You should say, it's more than a crutch. It is my lifeline. Without God, I do not breathe. Without God, I do not live. You think someone can make this up? It would take more faith in believing it's a coincidence or a man-made book than to give your life to this king right now. It would take more faith to do that. For those of you who know this king, we have surrendered our life to him. He is a good king. He rules with integrity. He rules with love and honesty and conviction. And his kingdom will have no end. Do you know this king? Does knowing this king fill you with joy and hope when your life is seemingly off the rails? When your mind and your heart seem so dark and your circumstance seems so wretched, do you look to the king who calls you son, who calls you daughter, who says, yes, I do have a kingdom that will last forever and you are welcome there. And you're not just going to be my pawn. You can live with me and there's a place for you at my table and I'm with you now and forever. This is the king we serve. And this is the king we celebrate. Emmanuel, God with us. And one of the way churches around the world celebrate is through something called communion. And on Jesus' last days on earth, before he's murdered, executed, he sat with his followers, his disciples. And he took some bread, and he took some wine, and he said, you're going to do this you need to do this to celebrate my death. That's a weird thing to say. If you're at that dinner party and somebody serves you stuff, like, we're doing this, we're going to celebrate my death. That's messed up. When he says it, it's brilliant and amazing and awesome because death has no hold on him. And Jesus is saying, for those of you who believe in me, death will have no hold on you. And where I'm going, you will be with me also. And so we're going to be in... Luke chapter 22. We're going to take communion together and invite you, if you're a believer, to please celebrate this with us with joy, with great amazement and awe at who this king is. Please take the elements with us. And I'd ask if you're not a believer that you would consider what the entire Bible has laid out. That the king is here and that this king is Jesus, that he is the king of kings, and there is no other king. He is the anticipated king. And he's inviting into you. He's inviting you into his kingdom, that you would do so. I'd love to hear about that if you make that decision. And perhaps next time we do communion together, we can do it as a brother 
and a sister in Christ. I'd invite Tony up, please, to help serve communion. We're going to pass out um, the elements, but before that, I'm just going to say a word of prayer um, before we take these together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your your great rescue plan. And I thank you that we can read about it. I thank you for your kingdom. And I thank you, King Jesus, that you know us and you love us and you died for us. Would you teach each one of us our role in your kingdom? That we would encourage those who already know you and that we would see many come to know you, Jesus. And that we would see the Yukon transformed by the gospel and serving the king and not our own interests the interests of the king. And as we take communion together, taking the bread and the juice together, would it just deeply humble us and give us a deeper reality and a sense of what you've done and who you are for us. We pray this for your glory and for our joy. Amen.